Hello and welcome to episode 593 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. Today we have a very, very, very special guest. This is a young woman who has turned injury analysis for fantasy football mainstream. She's an actual certified orthopedic clinical specialist. You know she's big time because she has her own Wikipedia page. It is Stefania Bell of ESPN's Fantasy Focus and Fantasy Football Now. Stefania, how's it going? Thanks for doing the show. Uh, thank you for having me. I've been a fan of the Establish the Run podcast since inception. So uh, I feel very honored that you're inviting me on. Uh, and I, I might be even you know more excited to be here because you introduced me as a young woman, which is not true, but I will take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we appreciate you listening for sure. And yeah, uh, today I'm excited because we're going to talk a little bit about Stefania's career. I'm kind of fascinated by this whole cottage industry of NFL player injury analysis that has popped up. And then I guess most importantly, we of course need to get to all the guys that I personally have injury questions about heading into this season. All right. Very important. Very important. Respect number one. (laughs) (laughs) I, I guess my first thought is that people with medical and clinical degrees typically don't find their way onto TV And maybe they do like guest hits on some news shows, but they don't really find their way into regular media. I'm curious how all this happened for you. I think that you've been doing this for decade plus now, which makes it even crazier that that this was mainstream or has grown mainstream. How did you find your way into the media world? It's really, uh, it's not, it was a very circuitous path. Let's put it that way. It wasn't a a direct line. It wasn't a goal. It was something that came about just out of this combination of my passions. I'm a physical therapist, but you referenced a board certified orthopedic clinical specialist, um, emeritus now. That's another sign of age, right? Um, But uh, I worked in in general orthopedics, then I worked in sports. I was at KU for a while, worked with D1 athletes there, um, really treated athletes from youth and high school up through professional athletes, had a private consulting business as well. So I was in the sports medicine field for close to 20 years. I was also um, teaching at the time, both in physical therapy program at KU and then at Samuel Mayer College in Oakland and also post-professional fellowship training. So you know how doctors, um, for example, orthopedics would go to surgery residency and then a sports medicine fellowship. We have similar things in physical therapy where you can go to residency and then fellowship training. I taught in a fellowship program um, for multiple years. And so, and then, you know, it was academic, teaching, uh, sports, all of that. And so I was often explaining things. I mean, and by nature of the job that I did, whether it was to my patients who were uh, athletes of all types or to my students, my fellows. And eventually I was explaining injuries to the people I played fantasy football with. So I got into fantasy football um, probably around uh, 99, I would say. And I played in a really competitive co-ed league. And I quickly became obvious that injury information was scarce back then. I mean, I I don't have to tell most people. I mean, things were not online. Uh, Even the way fantasy football wins and losses were recorded wasn't really heavily online at that Mm -hmm. point. Uh, But as that started to develop and as I saw people becoming interested in the nuance of injury information, how it could give you an edge, I mean, all we want in fantasy football is to have an edge, right? You're always Mm -hmm. looking for 
some advantage. And any area where you have informational uh, insight can be an advantage in fantasy football. And so that was that was basically what tipped me off to this could be something. I started writing. Rotowire gave me a writing opportunity. Um, Matthew Berry and I got to know each other through um, the association, which is now the FSGA. Mm-hmm. And when he went to ESPN, he was tasked with building the fantasy group. And that was how we connected. He brought me in for an audition. I came. Uh, I basically never left. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you were doing all this work and academics, could you ever envision a, a full-time job in media? Like it wouldn't even, yeah. it, it wouldn't even, if somebody told me that's what they want to do, I'd be like, that's a really interesting idea for a part-time thing. I, I wouldn't think that there would be full-time jobs in this, but now they're not just you. I feel like there's multiple people now doing full-time injury analysis in sports. Yeah, I don't know. I can't say it used to be that I was the only one who did it full-time. And and I think, you know, people have asked me because I was so heavily involved in clinical practice. Do you miss the clinical practice? Uh, there are aspects of it I miss, but also um, I was a manual therapist, meaning you do a ton with your hands. Uh, and you can imagine working with athletes, 20 years of that. Um, I have my own arthritic, you know, changes of my hands. I can't do what I used to do, but I stay very involved. I still teach. I still present at conferences. I'm still licensed, you know, all of those things. So uh, in fact, I'm probably more engaged even in the orthopedic surgery world than I even used to be. So um, as far as like keeping up with the things that are current in how athletes are being treated and managed, I have no um, qualms that I'm right there and probably more involved than I would be if I was in the clinic to some degree. But uh, the media thing just, you know, I started on a six-month contract with ESPN. Yeah. It was kind of like, let's see where it goes. And uh, I'm very fortunate to still be here. Uh, the idea of being able to figure out an injury without actually examining someone. Obviously, you've examined a ton of athletes in your life. The idea that you can give a prognosis or a diagnosis without actually examining them, I think has maybe made some people question this whole thing. I've been amazed at how accurate Stefania and some other people can be like see an injury on the field and immediately know what happened and how long guy is going to be out. What do you think about the whole criticism that hey, these people aren't actually examining them? What do they, what do they know about the actual injury, et cetera, et cetera? It's fair. And in fact, if I were to criticize the industry in general, those of us who do this, it would be when people are too quick to say, this is what this is. Here's the prognosis because a couple of things I'll tell you. Uh, nothing is as good as evaluating somebody in person, putting your hands on them. That's that's what you do. Uh, now, video is very helpful. Mm-hmm. But if you go back to I'll give you a quick example, Zach Wilson last year when he injured his knee in the preseason, there was a lot of whoop, oh, he tore his ACL, you know, immediate response. He didn't. You yeah. know, it was a meniscal injury that had a very similar presentation that bobble on the field the knee looked like it gave way and it could have been something that actually stretched acl a little bit but it wasn't that and then you have to backtrack and so you know i'm i tend to be cautious anybody who knows me um this hits usually the criticism of me i won't you know she doesn't give you the um the prognosis and the the other part of that is not only do i want to step back and kind of see what the team puts forward. And a lot of times you can start to put things together from there. But one of my other frustrations is that, you know, the, like for example, a meniscus injury, 
there are so many different kinds of patterns and presentations and then decision-making trees on how to manage that based on how that athlete presents. And that ties into not only what you see on the field, but their prior history. You know, how healthy was the joint beforehand? What are the issues they're dealing with? Where is the team in their seasonal calendar? Uh, where is this guy in his contract? All of these things make a big difference in how it's managed. So I get frustrated when I hear, and it's not injury, it's just everybody because it's become so commonplace, like, oh, he tore his meniscus, that's a two to four weeker. Yeah. Uh, well, how do you know? You, you really don't. So I think um, I tend to be a little more cautious and conservative, which means I don't have the uh, quick, uh, you know, draw from the hip reaction. And I'm okay with that. I think it's, for me personally, it's better to be a little bit slower and be a little more accurate than to put too much out there too quickly when you don't have the benefit of being on the field. Sure. And I think that's part of the responsibility of, of working at ESPN, which has such a major platform. Like it's not just fantasy people. It's these guys' lives and their money. And if Stefania goes out and says, oh, torn ACL, he's, he's done forever. Like that's obviously like, you know, way different than one of us uh, fantasy basement people uh, <laughs> merely, merely saying that. I, I am, uh, uh, I think for me, you know, and I, I totally agree with you on not rushing stuff out. For me personally, as someone who mostly plays DFS, the biggest benefit to me on the injury stuff, like I know before lock usually if a guy is going to play or not, if he's going to be active or inactive, right? The edge for me is in knowing if a guy is playing through injury, will he be limited? I understand that is a very, very difficult thing to say, but sometimes I get into a spot where, hey, guy's been on the injury report all week. He had a little knee thing. He's going to play through it. He's a little bit underpriced. I want to play him, but I don't no idea if he's actually 100% or not. I end out just making guesses here. How accurate do you think you and the injury industry can be on guys playing through injuries? It's really tough. Uh, highly variable. I think it really comes down to what you know. And some teams will share what the guy was doing, you know, on Saturday in the walkthrough or the workout. You know, if you if, you just kind of reading tea leaves around everything that leads up to the moment where they're playing. Um, what are they doing on the field? How concerned are they? And then, you know, I'm fortunate enough to work with some insiders who are able to sometimes get information that then I couple with what I know. And that's why, you know, our Sunday show, I think, is pretty good because we're getting all that in real time and putting it out as, as close to uh, kickoff as we can, which I think is when you have the best information. But uh, to your point, it's hard when a guy is dealing with something, even if it's minor, because there are so many variables that can factor into a flare-up on the field. You know, if the field conditions aren't great and they already are dealing with a mild soft tissue injury and then it's just enough to tip the scale. Uh, it's sometimes very difficult to know how they're going to be able to perform just based on the limited info you have. Also, sometimes I wonder, you know, I, listen, I've seen any given Sunday, the Al Pacino movie, some guys are getting injections, right? How do I know if a guy's getting an injection or not? And some guys seems like they can play really well, especially quarterbacks. I feel like they don't have a lot of movement. They can just get an injection and play through this stuff. I don't know. It, it's all hard, which is one of the reasons I found the, the quarterback show fascinating. I know a lot of people didn't like it, but I've actually found the quarterback show on on Netflix kind of fascinating. I love yeah. watching that stuff yeah. because you love seeing, I, I do think, uh, again, it's probably because of my background, but I tend to be an apologist for a lot of these athletes because I know what they will do to try and play. And it's not always as simple as, oh, they, they can just push through it and just be tough. Sometimes they can, 
but it's also how well can you function in that? Um, and think about it. If you're measured by your stats and you go out and you're trying to play through injury, especially these multiple week injuries, you know, a chronic nagging ankle sprain might not be a serious injury, might be, um, you know, think about Jonathan Taylor, who has mm -hmm. an interesting situation now, but that ankle injury last year and try to come back, you're trying to press through something that if you just had the time to really allow it to get better, you'd be able to perform great. But if you go out and you press through and people want you on the field, but your stats fall down, next season, are people really recognizing that that's a function of how you were grinding through something and you were less than 100%, not necessarily. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is really tough um, being in their position. And with the limited number of games per season, the limited window to play, limited window for their career. Yeah. Uh, so look at Justin Herbert. Like this is to me, like last year, I was like, no way is he going to be able to play and perform through this. And that was one of the toughest, you know, performances across maybe the six weeks after he had that rib cartilage injury. I don't really know how he did it. And yes, he was getting an injection, but that doesn't make you pain free. It doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily make you able to move. You're not able to practice the same during the week. So it's a lot more complex than just, you know, push through or, or, or stay at the sideline. For sure. I think a, a lesser known example would be Gabe Davis, who last year played through a high ankle sprain for the whole year, looked, I mean, did not play well. And, you know, I've gone back and forth with people a lot on Gabe Davis. We can save that for another time. But I do think that's an example of a guy that was playing mm -hmm. hurt all year. Yeah. All right. hundred yeah, percent. All right. Let's get to a bunch of players here. Now, I want to be very clear before we get into players. We're recording this on July 31st. There will be news and updates on all these guys that would change Stefania's or Mai's opinion or take on their outlook. Again, we're recording this July 31st. I want to start with the knee issues. The headline one to me is Javante Williams. And this one is interesting because it's not a clean ACL tear from what I understand. Javante Williams on October 2nd last year tore his ACL, LCL, and PLC. Now, my layman's take is that this is way worse than what happened to Brees Hall, what happened to Anaglad, a bunch of other guys that had clean ACL tears. The latest news on Javante is he's ahead of schedule. He's going to be cleared for contact. He's going to take all these hits. You know, we'll see. Anyways, fine. I give you the floor on the Javante Williams situation as we have it right now. It looked bad when it happened. Uh, to your point, it is more complicated than uh, straightforward ACL. Because if you think about, without even having to know anatomy, if you appreciate that there are four main ligaments that stabilize in the ACL, PCL, those are the two cruciate or crossing ligaments that are deep inside the joint. Then MCL, LCL, those are on the outside. One's on the uh, medial or the inside of the knee, LCL's on the outside. And the PLC reference stands for posterior lateral corner, which is really kind of where a lot of tissue comes together exactly where you would expect, on the posterior and lateral side, so the outside back corner of the knee. But it's very critical for reinforcing knee stability. So think about it. Two of the four main ligaments and the entire back corner of tissue all torn away. Uh, that's going to give you a grossly unstable knee. You have to repair that, repair it well, and you have to allow time for that to heal. But it's not the, the notion that the healing happens in a linear fashion is... is uh, is and this is not the way it is. And people heal differently. They scar differently. Um, their ability to move and gain their strength back is very different from one individual to the other. And um, it's interesting to me when we talk about 
players being ahead of schedule. Like everybody loves to talk about this guy's ahead of schedule. There's a schedule for a reason. And part of it is biology. Now, there are parts where you can work as hard. You know, some guys work really hard and they get their strength back and they, they look really good. But on the inside, the biology of tissue healing, you can't speed up science, as people say. You know, there's there are things that have to happen that take a certain amount of time. And part of the reason you don't want to press a guy coming back too quickly off a multi-ligament injury is you don't want to end up creating an imbalance where you're compromising the joint because this is the rest of their career. So you take a running back, if you push him too fast and it ends up creating joint forces you don't want, you are going to break down that knee and ruin him for the rest of his career. I'm I'm sure you saw the tape of J.K. Dobbins last year when he came back from what I believe, I'm not certain, I believe was a somewhat similar injury to Javante's. J.K. did not, he was extremely efficient, 5.7 yards per carry. He did not look right to me. What stiff. did you think of, of J.K. Dobbins' return, and would you compare it at all to Javante's? Yeah, I think there's caution there. Again, this comes down to some of the things that we don't see um, that are happening behind the scenes and sort of the course of their rehab. I think Javante's rehab has actually gone pretty smoothly to this point, which is not the case for J.K. Dobbins. And when he came back, you remember there was a lot of back and forth between the team mm-hmm. and him, and first it was – Remember, he was upset. He wasn't playing, and he really wanted to be out there. And I think part of that is, you know, the pressure these guys feel. I have to get back on the field and prove myself. And why this week one is such a big target is, uh, that's another uh, soapbox in my It's frustrating because yeah. you take three or four weeks, and sometimes it makes all the difference in the world. But he was clearly stiff, and we saw later he had to go back and have a secondary surgery where they removed a lot of scar tissue. Again, this comes back to some people lay down a lot more scar Scar is important for healing, but too much scar is problematic if it starts to interfere with motion. He had a stiff knee. If you go back and look at Harbaugh's early comments about, you know, and every and even watch JK run, he was different side to side. There wasn't the same motion. In Javante Williams' case, he actually looks really, really good. My concern was just, whoa, sometimes a guy can look so good that they get him doing too much too quickly. Mm-hmm. And the PT brain in me starts to kick in like, I just want to protect him. Now, I'm not there on the field every day. Uh, you're counting on the medical staff to measure that. Here's what I'll say about what we know about Williams so far. Uh, not placed on the pup list, which some people were shocked by. If you told me this six months ago, I would have been shocked. But I will also say some teams opt not to place a player on pup because they can practice. And if they limit them in practice, you know, maybe you run one set of drills and you sit out too. Then you go in what you can work them in and still have them learning, working on timing, getting football activity in, but not so much that you're overloading them. It sounds like they are working on a very incremental plan with him. Uh, he was allowed to go out in pads today. I think this is the first day as we're talking. He was going back into contact, as you mentioned. Uh, with him still deferring to the medical staff about when he'll be able to play. Mm-hmm. I'd sound like we won't see him in the preseason. They do have some joint practices coming up late in August with another team, which I think will be very interesting for everybody who's thinking about having fantasy. Those are the things to watch because every one of those things is a progression. If he's able to do that and that goes well, might he be on the field week one? It sounds like it. That's a crazy fast return. Yeah. But I would also say, doesn't mean he's going to be out there week one doing everything. He might be on the sideline and get a play or two. 
Sure. You know, like I, I don't think that this automatically means Javante Williams is back and leading the charge in week one. I just think this is a very positive progression for him that makes it look good for his ability to be close when the season begins. I mean, 11 months would be week one. That would strike me as very fast return from this kind of injury. Would you agree there? It's typically 12 to 18 months for something right. like this. And and uh, again, it's it's a bit of philosophy, but if you believe if they have, uh, you know, if he passes, there's a lot of testing that happens in the background that they're not going to share with us. But if he's meeting certain metrics that give them an indication that they believe he's physically ready, and if mentally which is equally important. He's showing confidence. You know, there cannot be hesitation. There cannot be a fear um, of, of getting hit. Those things are real hurdles that you have to get over as part of getting back on the field. Uh, and if they feel like he's ready to go, then sometimes the best way to get to that spot is to start introducing that activity because um, and I sound like a broken record when I say people heard me say this before, but return to play is not return to performance. And you have to get actual playing time as your final phase of rehab. That really is your final phase of rehab. A hundred percent. Okay. Let's go to another guy with a knee, Brees Hall, clean ACL tear. Let's remove all the Dalvin Cook stuff here for a second and just talk about Brees Hall's knee injury. He tore his ACL. I believe it was ACL only on October 23rd. Now, when I first started doing this, this fantasy football analysis stuff way back in 2005, 2006, this was like a guy had an ACL tear, forget it for the next year. Just don't even worry about it. If he comes back, he's going to be total dust anyways. Since then, over the last 15 years, it strikes me that guys are coming back faster and faster and better and better from clean ACL tears. I'm curious if that's true and if there has been something modern medicine has done differently that they weren't doing before to get guys back faster from these straight ACL tears? Yeah, I don't necessarily think it's happening faster, not by much. Anyway, we're still, the sweet spot is kind of nine months to a year, and that's where it's hovered for a while. We've had some outliers. Anybody who lived through the Adrian Peterson moment, yeah. um, that still is always brought up as, well, hey, this guy came back that fast. And I'm like, yeah, one guy in 12 years, so that's come right. back that quickly. Um, but there are players, I, you could point to some others. If you remember... Uh, Jamal Charles back in the day. So he had an ACL injury that he came back from. It was phenomenal. Then he had another one. Did not work out at all. And so, uh, you know, you can have what appears to be an otherwise straightforward ACL and it can take a really long time. I think what we're doing, but nothing magical has happened really. Um, you know, there's always subtle improvements, technique and training. We understand early motion is important. You know, they talk about graft types, what kind of graft are you using for ACL? There's more consistency, and there's certainly been more volume of patients who have ACL injury. So there's a lot that uh, people have been able to learn from. But again, it goes back to that, you know, biology is biology. And it often, the big thing is it takes a while to get the strength back that these guys need to be able to perform at their prior level. I think when you start rushing a guy too much, if he is not strong enough, you will see the decline in performance. And it's not just the quads, you know, before everybody was like, oh, because the quad, you know, the big muscle in the front of your thigh, there's often a deficit with ACL, you know, after surgery, they just have a deficit there. But the hamstring deficit is turning out to be maybe more important than anyone ever thought. And we're learning a lot about that from these sports science, uh, you know, all these um, GPS monitors and things that guys are wearing 
because we're seeing where the deficits are when mm. they function. Reese Hall has been good. It sounds like very linear progression, but even in the Jets speak, remember it was all like all systems go. He's running so fast. All I was saying, you know, referencing the GPS numbers mm -hmm. and made it sound like no big deal. He's going to be out there week one. But where are we now? He's coming along probably the next couple of weeks. You know, right. it's, it's a little hesitation. Uh, my fear, and it's very interesting that Dalvin Cook's in the mix for the Jets because when Dalvin Cook came back, everybody talked about how great he looked week one. And I immediately said, oh my gosh, please don't let them use him, overuse him. Like, yeah. they just pump the brakes. And he didn't. His work volume was sky high within a couple weeks. He ended up with a hamstring injury, was not right the rest of the year, and really didn't have his return until the following year. My hope for Brees Hall is that they don't do that. Yeah. Because he could be phenomenal on the back half of the season if he just doesn't do too much too soon. Yeah. I, I assume you thought that GPS, you know, running a straight line 23 miles an hour doesn't tell you much about the rehab because you need to go move side to side, right? Yes. No, it can tell you, uh, you know, acceleration is a really important metric because you, if you don't, if you don't have the strength, you're not going to hit those numbers. 22, 23 miles per hour is hitting about as fast as anybody runs on these things. So it's valuable in isolation, but you are 100% correct. It's not giving you football information. How is he navigating through traffic? What people don't realize, when a guy gets tackled, and this is where running backs have it worse than anyone, they're dragging guys. The leg strength it takes to drag players who are trying to bring you down goes well beyond anything you're doing when you're doing individuals. And so until they're getting that kind of work, which only happens when you're playing games, they're not really replicating what they need to do on the field. And that takes a while to build up. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned the Adrian Peterson thing. When people cite outliers, it really does drive me crazy. I believe Dr. James Andrews like opened up Adrian Peterson's knee and was like, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. He's a freak or something, you know, and to, yeah. to expect everybody else. And Brees Hall is an incredible athlete also, but to expect anyone else to have the same knee as Adrian Peterson, I think it, you know, is asking way, way, way too much. It's like every time there's a small wide receiver in the draft, people tell me he's the next to Sean Jackson, Adam. He's only 165 pounds, I know, but he's the next to Sean Jackson. Like, you know, whatever. Anyways. Maybe there was just one to Sean Jackson. Exactly. Uh, you know, I think that um, the, the tough part about really studying this is, you know, you can look at the literature. There have, there have been studies published, you know, on NFL players. So running backs, wide receivers, tight ends in the NFL, performance metrics post-ACL, certainly something that's been looked at. The caution with any of that data, you have to use the caveat that it's based on publicly reported data. For the most part, there was a window where there was some, you know, there, there's research being done internally, um, but it gets touchy with player data, et cetera, et cetera. So most of the publications that you'll see or hear people like myself, if you reference them, are collated uh, metrics based on publicly available information. And here's the problem with that. 10 players have an ACL injury, but you may not know what other injuries they had alongside mm -hmm. of it. So they're all being lumped together in a group for performance following the injury, but they may not really have had the exact same injury. And also when you look at return time to play, football happens during a particular season. So depending on when the injury happened, you can have a really extended return to play. It was no fault of your own, just happened to be when the calendar hit. So uh, 
there's a lot of nuance, again, to interpreting the data that's out there. And we just don't have really clean, obvious information to, to tell us. Yeah, just to wrap on Brees Hall, I mean, my, my take and, and from listening to Stefania, he has the ability to have such a massive ceiling late in the year when all the money is in fantasy football. I'm still willing to take fourth round gambles, fifth round gambles, even with all this Dalvin Cook news. And the more bad news we get about Brees Hall's knee, the longer he does to come back and the more the Dalvin Cook stuff intensifies, the lower he's been going uh, in drafts. Okay. Kyle Pitts, the bane of the fantasy community last season, did not have an ACL tear, had an MCL tear. Now I am shocked. This was on November 20 of last year. Maybe I'm uneducated. I am shocked that Kyle Pitts really did not appear ready to play for training camp. Missed all of OTAs. Training camp, he wasn't quite ready. I saw him running in some pads this week and doing some routes. Did not look like he was running at 100% to me, did Kyle Pitts. Now, MCL tear, people know far less about. Are you surprised Kyle Pitts seems to be taking a little bit longer here with his? And what do you think about him? I mean... (laughs) I was screaming this earlier and my colleagues were poo-pooing me, (laughs) you know, my own workmates were like, but he's Kyle Pitts. He's an athletic freak. Like he's going to be fine. Kyle Pitts is generational talent. Kyle Pitts is, they drafted him in the first round. I'm like, yeah, they did before he was hurt. And there's something that doesn't, it doesn't pass the sniff test because to your point, don't discount your observations. You're right on. An MCL tear that you had surgery for in November, I was like, ah, oh, we'll be back doing everything by OTAs. And if not then, at least by June mini camps, you know. And I keep hearing that, well, they're just being caught. I'm like, what? What mm-hmm. for? Why be caught? Like, if anything, we know that getting back into football is what prepares you for football. Um, based on what they reported the injury to be, there is not a reason that he should be wearing a brace, running at less than 100% and limited during training camp. That's about all we have. So we can only go off of what we see, but it tells me, you know, the injury, it just, it looked worse than that. Um, I suspect there was more than that. And I think what we're seeing is all the stuff they're not saying. And I've had a flag on this. Look, He also had a hamstring injury previous to the MCL. So you're always concerned about that. And was, you know, is that involved in any way? You got to really be sure about him being healthy before he gets back. But if he's not right and fully participating soon, I'm going to be really worried about how this season is going to go for him. Yeah, it's scary for sure. Obviously, we know that Arthur Smith may not be uh, as intent as some other coaches on getting his best players the football either, which is obviously a concern. Kyle Pitts has gotten much cheaper. I've seen him go in the seventh or eighth rounds. But yeah, I mean, I have him flagged as well. And I've actually been taking Goddard uh, over Pitts in spots where I have that choice. So yeah, certainly scary. All right. Kyler Murray, face of the Cardinals franchise, tore his ACL. It was a late season ACL tear December 12th. I think the question on Kyler Murray that people always ask is, because Kyler Murray uses his mobility so much to play the quarterback position well, is this ACL worse than it would be for Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or some other pocket statue kind of quarterback? What are your thoughts on Kyler Murray's potential return this year? In the sense of having to restore more functionality, different types of skills before he gets back on the field, yes, it's a little more uh, involved for a Kyler Murray because 
he really needs some of those running back skill set metrics. He needs to be able to dodge and dart dash, you know, for him to be the player that he was before injury, that means he has to scramble and make plays on the run. That's what he needs to do. And he also needs to be willing to uh, run and take contact. Now, uh, you could argue that guys who stand in the pocket are at risk of some really bad contact, especially if they don't have great protection. And even Joe Burrow, who can scamper, uh, was somebody I worried about because his injury happened in the pocket. And mm-hmm. He got his name blown out there. And to you need escapability, even if you're a guy who is basically uh, a tree in the pocket, you need to at least be able to escape pass rush, move well enough to protect yourself. But if you're worried, you really need to be nimble. And that's uh, just a different level of agility. So uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that one of those uh, or the other is more at risk when it comes to injury potential. But in terms of what you have to get back before you can play like yourself, yeah, it's more complicated for him. And I'm not surprised, um, you know, that he's he's not ready to go. I mean, that was a, it's nice to say that. I never fault anyone for putting out there like my goal is to be ready at the start of the season because dangle that carrot in front of an athlete and it helps yeah. motivate them as long as you know you're being real, realistic about the steps it takes to get there. But uh, th- there's no reason whatsoever to rush him beyond what's appropriate. See, I, I actually think the coaches do the athletes a disservice when they put a date on them. If I was a coach, I would I would try to under-promise, over-deliver as much as possible. Be like, oh, I don't think I don't think Kyler's going to be back this year. It's just such a devastating injury. And then when Kyler comes back, your guy looks like he's a hero. He worked so hard. He got back three months before coach said he would. You know, just just go with the under-promise, over-deliver. I, I hate when they put the actual dates on kids because or they uh, get yeah, so uh, excited that they look good and that's why i was you know going back to javante we were talking about him the early rumblings were like oh he looks so good like he'll be out there and then they they that was like january february and then they started walking it back yeah and i thought don't put the pressure on because they'll hear it and feel it like they've got to get back i agree with you i'd rather see them give the outer boundary and you will see that quite a bit which goes back to why guys say they're ahead of schedule not necessarily ahead of schedule they're maybe ahead of the timeline the team put out there but that's a win for everyone because who really cares they're on whatever their schedule dictates but it is at least it's not being held up publicly because people will mark it in their calendar and then everybody you know media is asking why are they back yeah you're supposed exactly. to be back at this time what's wrong there might not be anything wrong it might just be that's the time it's taken I don't know if you're playing best ball at all, Stefania, but would you take Kyler Murray in, in a best ball format? Like, do you think he's he's likely to play and be himself this year? It's a really good question because uh, I've heard the conversation about, well, maybe they just don't have him play at all this year. And I, I, even if that were something that ended up happening, I certainly don't think that's in the conversation right now. You take what you take, you know, you see how he's doing. If player's healthy, getting him back on the field is what, you don't want to leave that whole long window of time with him not getting back out there if he's ready to go. Uh, likewise, if he's not ready to go to like week 14, why would you put him out there for the last two weeks, of three weeks of the season? So I probably am not, again, conservative me, I'm probably just avoiding because even if he does come back whenever he come, you know, I don't see it being before the first half of the season. And then there's some acclimation time to getting back sure. and playing. Okay, one more Cardinals question that's been a bit under the radar. Nobody really cared, unfortunately, but Zach Ertz tore his ACL. I on <laughs> I did too, because I was really uh, interested in, in Trey McBride. But anyways, sorry for Zach Ertz, tore his ACL on November 
13th of last year. Zach Ertz will also turn 33 in November. I'm curious if you think age matters in ACL recoveries here because I do think, and listen, the Cardinals should be rehabbing. They should be borderline tanking. They used a round two pick on Trey McBride. If I were running the Cardinals and I had 33-year-old Zach Ertz coming off an ACL, I would not be playing him. I'd be trying to trade him. I want to see Trey McBride get out there more. Maybe this is all wish casting for me, though. Is someone who's older, like Zach Ertz, 33 in November, at risk of a longer rehab off his ACL? It, it's uh, it's part of it. Certainly when you're younger and you have less uh, trauma, you know, it's not, you only get one body. It's not like it's forgetting the injuries that you've had. So, yeah, I think it is easier for a 23 year old than a 33 year old, but you also look at the position that he plays. You know, he's not a perimeter wide receiver who's got to sprint uh, at top speed to be effective in doing what he does. Like he can be very effective uh, in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the field, and coming back for that is maybe not quite as difficult. So uh, I think it's relative to position. It's relative to what the demands are. He's also what you can look at it sometimes is you get a guy like that who's very uh, mature and smart about rehab. You know, he came to Arizona after having an ankle injury that wasn't addressed in Philly. And if you remember, people were like, oh, Zach versus Dunn. He, he's, he's uh, you know, it, the, people didn't think he looked like he could play mm-hmm. anymore. He got his ankle fixed. He goes to Arizona, got a new lease on his yeah. tight end life. And so I think there's an understanding there of what he needs to do to get back. It's important to him. I think when he comes back, he can be effective. I I think that, you know, he's another one who set a goal of week one, by the way. And he's not, I, I don't think that's that's happening. Um, but it would be nice if he was there as sort of a balancing act for Trey McBride. I agree with you. I think we're going to get some Trey McBride run. Yeah. And that's going to be really helpful. But it could also be helpful to have Zachers available to them, even if it's in a supporting role. And that uh, that's where it remains to be seen. Okay. A uh, small one I want to get your take on is Wandale Robinson towards ACL on November 20th. Haven't had many updates on Wandale, no. positive or negative. I just know they keep adding slot receiver to the roster like every week, including Paris Campbell, who it sounds like is playing well in the slot and is likely the favorite to win that role. I did think Wandale showed some flashes as a rookie before his ACL tear. These late season ones, though, to wide receivers scare me a little bit. Any hope for you this season on Wandale Robinson? Uh you know, I think it's possible that we see him return, but it's probably equally possible that we don't. Uh, it, you know, I think th- this is another one where it's really hard to predict right now because of the fact that it was so late. Uh, the Giants certainly, boy, they dealt with a rash of injuries, uh, soft tissue injuries in their receivers over the last few years. And uh, they they really actually improved last year in terms of the hamstring strain problem they were seeing. I know that their medical staff did some specific things to really try and confront the hamstring issue they were seeing, made some changes, did pretty well, also removed a guy in Canarius Tony that was probably responsible mm-hmm. for a lot of it. Uh, but I, it's it's a group I know that will not be over aggressive and bringing Wandale back too quickly. So I think that's why you just haven't heard much. It's yeah. I don't think he's that close or you would have heard more. Okay. I want to mention some guys who have had feet issues. The first one is Rashad Bateman. You know, similar to the, what I said about the ACL, it used to be that if a guy got a Liz Frank injury and surgery, you were worried about his career. Now guys seem to be coming back from Liz Frank's faster and faster. We saw Travis Etienne come back, and I thought Travis Etienne actually looked pretty good last great. year in his first mm-hmm. year off of a Liz Frank. Is there something new going on with Liz Frank 
And what do you think about Rashad Bateman this year? So here's what's new. What's new is that we are better in the medical world at recognizing them and recognizing that there are varying degrees of list frank injuries. They are another one where uh, drives me nuts, but people will say list frank injury like they're all the same. There are the blow up your foot list frank injuries where it's fracture, dislocation. I mean, nasty injuries. Those are usually the crush type injuries. I think Matt Schaub back in the day had one of those and it's a lot of hardware. Uh, it's a big surgery. Uh, it, it's a complicated recovery. So it takes months and months and you often have to then go and get the hardware out. And we're, we're talking about a lot of hardware in one of those bigger injuries. You can also have these uh, low grade list franks where it doesn't look like much on imaging, but there's some instability in the foot. It can be subtle. That's also what makes these hard to diagnose. And it's tough for the athlete because if you hear foot sprain or midfoot sprain during the fantasy season, you should be very concerned because that means there's a possibility of a list frank injury, but it can be so subtle that when you look at a, a plain film, an x-ray, there's nothing that really shows up. There's no fracture, but if uh, they stress the foot, Sometimes you can see uh, a displacement. So you know there's movement. That means there's a ligament damage. So when you see that, that means the guy has no support through the middle of his foot. And it's why they'll feel like they can't run or it hurts. They go in and put a screw in. Sometimes it's just a very simple, light hardware. That's a quicker recovery. So I go through that explanation to show like, that's why some guys, it's months and months. Some guys, it may not be that long. And even with those simple ones, because the foot doesn't have a lot of fat around it, um, hardware can be a pain. And so you see these guys sometimes go back and get a screw out after everything's healed, uh, and then they need a little time to recover from that. So um, in Bateman's case, you know, that's potentially what the deal is with him here. I'm not overly concerned right now, but, but his collective history does make you a little concerned. He certainly missed a fair amount of time for a young guy. Yeah, for sure. Okay. A couple more uh, abstract ones I wanted to ask about. Cam Akers, Achilles thing. I, I was floored. Like, I could not believe Cam Akers returned from an Achilles tear in six months. And it turned out that maybe he shouldn't have because he was so bad and looked so bad. At one point, I thought he was going to fall out of the league. Fast forward to the end of last year, and Cam Akers was getting huge workloads and looking really good. That has created a narrative, Stefania, that you need 18 to 24 months to get right <laughs> from an Achilles tear. And because Cam Akers started to play well right around that 18 to 20 month mark, he is now fine and good to go. What is your overall take on the Achilles stuff and on Cam Akers situation? I think we are at a point where we're really learning about this because it used to be that an Achilles injury meant you're done in the league. Like, you, you're just not going to come back from it. You guys aren't going to play again. I mean, they couldn't get their explosiveness back. And one of the reasons is, if you think about it, your Achilles is like, uh, you know, you have spring from your Achilles. It's, it's power. It's explosiveness. If you rush back from an Achilles, if you overstretch the repair, you lose all your power and explosiveness. So you cannot, this goes back to the biology thing, if you push it too soon and you overstretch it, it's like overstretching a rubber band. You know when it loses all its elasticity mm -hmm. and like it doesn't, you can't sh shoot the rubber band. Mm -hmm. You can't go back and create that tension if you've lost it. So the the lessons learned are like you, you want that thing to scar down before you start getting aggressive. But as with everything, we start pushing the envelope. So how much mobility is okay early on? 
Uh, and then how long does it take to really score down before you can start pushing it? And what we're finding is that around six months, you can actually be getting guys back to activity. Mm. And it depends on the sport. It depends on the position. This is, I, you know, say it over and over and over again. And a running back is perhaps most visible, like it's right out there for the naked eye because uh, they're lacking power, which every guy I've ever had who had an Achilles or bear will tell you. When, here's the thing about athletes. When they're coming back initially, they're like, no, I'm good. I'm great. I'm fine. I feel 100%, whatever. A year later, mm-hmm. I wasn't fine. I, I had to tell myself that to get back out there. But wow, a year later, I can see I look different than I did before. Put that in front of every major injury when you get a guy coming back. They'll tell you a year later, I didn't realize how much I was lacking. That's Cam Akers. It was great that he got back because what he did for them in terms of their championship run was important. But we saw the drop off. He, he wasn't himself until we got to late last season. So I think both things can be true. And it's sort of, what are your goals? Would it have been, if he could compete, would it have been fair to hold him out when they had a chance to make that? They're probably saying, no, we want him part of the team. And even if he does a couple things for us, that's better than nothing. So I think we're still learning what's the sweet spot there. Um, But we have seen, if you look at like James Robinson, who came back and looked really strong initially, but then faded. you know, I don't know that we fully know what's the best window and approach for these guys. Would you consider Cam Akers 100% healthy or, or close to it for this year, considering he's now, what, two or three years removed? Yeah, it was uh, when he tore it in 2021 in the summer, came back in the playoffs 2022, then had that weird year last year, weird start, yeah. but then finished strong. And I would say by the way he finished and everything um, sounds like, you know, kumbaya over rounds i think there's good reason to be optimistic about him this year yeah okay speaking of rams you can't poke many holes in cooper cups profile but i did want to ask about accumulation of injuries and so you know there's a lot of people and i think sharp people are aware of certain injuries can accumulate now you know the christian mccaffrey controversy that i got embroiled into last year many of us got embroiled into Last year, I did not think that the previous injuries Christian McCaffrey had would have any effect whatsoever on his 2022 outlook. For Cooper Cup, though, torn ACL in 2018, severe high ankle sprain last season that needed surgery. Do you have concern about accumulation of injuries uh, on Cooper Cup or just in general accumulation of these kinds of injuries? This is where it comes back to really knowing the individual, too, because... Uh, you can't ignore that he's had two major injuries, but you also look at the amount he touches the ball. And I don't have the metrics, but um, exposure rate, I mean, first of all, the number of snaps you're on the field, that counts as an exposure. But then when you have the ball in your hand, that uh, risk level goes up. And how often did Cooper Cup have the ball in his hand? I mean, every chance Matthew Stafford could get it to him, right? He was basically his outlet there on that team. So for the amount of risk baked into that profile of his he's really been remarkably healthy mm-hmm. and if you look at how physical the takedowns are i mean you got three four guys on him and he gets right back up so uh it wasn't that much of a surprise they ended up with with a with a high ankle injury um yeah could have been anything the other aspect to it is that the way we're treating these now and in his case he had the tightrope procedure uh that means no hardware really uh, they're putting this is basically a little plate with the the tie rope. It's a synthetic, um, basically a synthetic thread 
that stabilizes the ankle joint and takes out this double screw that you would normally have had to put through before to get the ankle better. That came with consequences that could have presented problems down the line for the ankle that so far we're just not seeing with these tightrope procedures. So as far as his ankle goes, the prospect of his ankle health looks pretty good based on the procedure that he had. So I'm not worried about that. And secondly, Cooper Cup is one of the few players who has come back from an ACL injury and put up almost duplicate numbers right. in the and, following season. And better. I mean, he was better after the ACL, yeah. Because of the way he approached his rehab. And I've used him as an example. In fact, I was at a sports medicine meeting this summer and, and you know, it was orthopedic surgeons. And they were asking me what I saw in athletes that was making the difference in some of the ones that came back. And Cooper Cup is so intense and so dedicated to his work, his craft, that when the rehab team was telling him, okay, we're going to do X, Y, or Z in rehab. And he'd ask about it. Like, what's that for? What's that for? Not to challenge him, but just curiosity. And they'd say, well, we want to build this for you. And he'd say, well, you know, the way I run this route, I kind of need this a little bit more. Can we tweak it to do that? And they'd be like, you know, that's the ultimate like goal of rehab and athlete working together. You just don't see that very often. And mm -hmm. that is part of why he came back the way he did. So I feel differently about Cooper Cup than just about everybody else out there because I know who he is as a guy and how he approaches that work ethic and that rehab. And I was not worried about him coming in. He's already started off full going camp. So yeah. I'm not, I, I can't say that I have a lot of concerns for him as far as injury risk. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. We have him fifth overall in our rankings, and I, I feel pretty good about that. Also, I would note, we're not going to talk about him here, but Tony Pollard also had the tightrope procedure this offseason. I'm looking he looks, good, by the way, from everything I've well. heard. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right, a few quarterbacks before we get out of here. Uh, Brock Purdy, there was so much skepticism around Brock Purdy, and then all of a sudden it just turned on a dime, and now it would be a shock if Brock Purdy is not ready for week one with his elbow issue. Do you have any concerns about long-term for this season on Brock Purdy's elbow? No, I, I just love this. I love it so much. And not just because I'm a 49ers fan, but because uh, I think, again, this is a case of the unknown and people sort of writing it off. But this UCL repair, when used appropriately, is not a full reconstruction like Tommy John. And, and there are, are we, we're not going to get into the minutia, but there are uh, requirements to be able to do that kind of repair. Tissue has to be a certain way. Tear has to happen a certain way all of these things in order for you to be eligible for this repair, which basically means instead of harvesting a tendon from your forearm, recreating a graft that's going to replace the ligament you tore, you're taking the torn ligament, anchoring it back down and reinforcing it with the same kind of reinforcement that you use on the tightrope in the ankle. You're using it in the elbow. And whenever you can protect native tissue, that's better. Whenever you have less complicated of a procedure, that's better. You heal faster. And people, I think we're using a timeline for pitchers, even pitchers who have benefited from their pair are coming back more quickly. Mm -hmm. But a quarterback doesn't have the same constraints because their throwing motion is different. It's not as demanding. So he can move more quickly through it. They've got him on a two days on, one day off program right now, as we're talking today. Uh, you know, I think within a couple of weeks, he'll be throwing daily. And I don't really expect any setback. You know, could he have like days where he's sore and they scale him back? Sure, that's sure. normal. 
Um, but the success rate with these repairs, knock on wood so far, has been very, very high. Now, we don't have very many quarterbacks. You've got Nick Mullins, um, who I've talked to several times, and uh, he says his elbow feels like Nick. Like, it's not even a thing for him anymore. Uh, Clayton Thorson, who uh, is not playing in the NFL currently, but who had this um, injury and and now Brock. So there's not, uh, you know, there's not a big sample size, mm -hmm. and he'll probably be the most visible one. But uh, so far, he's been doing great with his rehab, and I, I don't, uh, I'd be surprised if there's a bump in the road short of him having something catastrophic, somebody sure. hitting his arm and, and re-injury. Yeah, we've been projecting him for all 17 games for, for a while now. So yeah, I'd love to hear it. Oh, one that uh, I didn't include in the show sheet, but I wanted to see if you had any thoughts on was Tua Tugavailoa. He is one of my favorite mid-round quarterback or late mid-late round quarterback targets. The pushback I get every time I say that is he's one concussion away from being yes. out of the league. Obviously, this is a horrible thing to think about. Tua, I don't think, is going to play um any timid or whatever i think he understands the risks that he's taken a do you think tua is more at risk than another quarterback to get a concussion this season and b do you think that another concussion would indeed be the end of Tua's nfl career uh i'll start with b first and i i just i don't know that any of us can say because uh number one he was cleared by five different um specialists before being even eligible to return. And while we know that cumulative head trauma is not ideal, I don't know that anybody has a magic number in there. So, you know, this has always been a decision between Tua, his family, the medical staff, you know, all, uh, all collectively coming together. And I think the Dolphins really kind of, again, last year when after he had um, the second injury is very big and in prime time that they really kind of pushed back on let's not let's not move too quickly here. Um, so I think everyone's tried to do the right thing. And I hope it's Tua, who studied martial arts in the offseason. Uh, we talk about this uh, in, in my world of sports medicine. We are training athletes, like teaching them how to fall. That's really a thing. Uh, you know, there are some people who have these natural inclinations to roll and turn and twist differently. And Tua just seemed to go to the ground hard, awkwardly. It was interesting when he came out of Alabama, because let's remember how he entered the league, right? Off that massive hip mm -hmm. injury uh, that, which I, by the way, felt like people did not give him enough credit. When he came into the league, that could have been something that could have altered his entire life much less ability to play football. His comeback from that was quite remarkable. But because of the incision they had to make for his hip, it takes a long time to get your strength back through your glute, through your leg. So some of his throwing, I'm sure his delivery was impacted by that early on in his career. But Nick Saban said back then, Tua always wants to be the playmaker. He's got to learn to protect himself better. Mm -hmm. He always was waiting till the last minute. So the takedowns like came as a surprise. I think that kind of having your head on a swivel, being a little more alert to that, maybe not waiting till the last second. That's going to be interesting if he incorporates that into his game because I think it will help him have a longer uh, life on the field, if you will, a longer career arc, and and we'll see. Uh, you know, I think some of the risk that you talk about, is he at risk for another guy? I think he's actively trying to mitigate that uh, with some pre 
you know, protective strategy for himself yeah. here. We'll see how it plays out. All right. Last one is a recent one. Joe Burrow gave everybody the scare of a lifetime when he goes down in practice last week. Turns out it is not a severe injury. They're calling it a calf strain. He's going to be out a few weeks. We have not adjusted Joe Burrow down at all in our rankings. Should we be worried about Joe Burrow, though, at all, Stefania? Here's the worry. The worry is not that it's the serious injury up front. The worry is that it becomes the one that nags him during the season. And that really depends on, uh, number one, how severe it is, which, again, going back to how we started this podcast, we don't know from a distance. Mm -hmm. Uh, Him hopping and pulling up on that leg, it startles you. But some athletes are very instinctive and they know, you know what, just don't don't put it on the ground. I don't want to make it worse. So it could be mild. Uh, and you're protecting it. Uh, people see a cart come out. They're like, oh my God, the cart. Well, you know what? It's summer. It's preseason. It's a long way to the training room. Yeah. You take the cart, even yeah. if it's not a big deal. So I don't get too alarmed about the cart. The cart's there for a reason. It's hot. These guys are dehydrated, increased risk of soft tissue injury. Like there's all these things. Jamar Chase talked about Joe being on a scooter. And, well, immediately that starts to make me a little bit like, oh, why is he on a scooter? He's not in weight bearing. But again, sometimes you're doing that just to make sure the guy cannot aggravate this and make it something worse. So we don't know where we're starting in terms of how bad the injury is. When Zach Taylor says it's going to be several weeks, is that several weeks because they really think it'll take that long to heal? Or is it several weeks because it's a week to 10 days? Well, we're not bringing him back because we have that luxury right now. So it's a little hard to gauge because these are the unknowns. That being said, if I'm Cincinnati, I'm doing everything in my power. And there's no magic way, by the way, to know, oh, he's 100% and we're not going to be at any risk of aggravating this. But there are multiple things they can do to test it out best they can. But what we don't want is Joe Burrow week one, week two, week three, he looks phenomenal. Week four, boom, pulls his calf. And now Dak Prescott pulled his, uh, I think it was it was the, when he was coming back from the ankle, and I think he missed 21 days. Now they had a bye week, so they only ended up missing one game if you look mm-hmm. at games. But it was 21 days from time of injury, and that was uh, no big deal. He thought he could keep playing on it, calf strain. So yeah. there's, there's definitely a little concern. Okay. Uh, I'm also a well-seasoned professional athlete, and I pulled my calf <laughs> playing tennis uh, and I was only out, you know, uh, two to three weeks. So uh, that's my. By the personal way, personal do you yes. know that they call it was probably your medial gastroc, like the inside <laughs> part of your calf. Yeah. And they, they call it tennis leg. Like that is a thing. <laughs> so, and, and they also call it, I, I, I shouldn't tell you this, but they, you call it middle aged man. Um, yes. Syndrome because we often see this in racket sport guys, like, you know, 30s, 40s, you pop the gastroc, it hurts, right? Yes. Well, he, Brandon Adams tried to hit me with a drop shot from the baseline <laughs> and my 40 year old butt tried to get up to the net and yeah, just, uh, just pulled it, but that's okay. That's okay. Me and Joe Burrow, one in the same. Okay. We've said it all here. Thanks so much to Stefania for all the time. Stefania, tell the people where they can find you, assuming you actually want to be found by these people. Well, it's that time of year I come back out of my shell. I'm at Stefania underscore ESPN on whatever we're calling that platform now. <laughs> and then at Stefania Bell on Instagram and threads, um, which is something new I'm diving into like the rest of us. But uh, 
And then um, during the season, we're still hammering out fantasy focus, but uh, the show is going to be 11 to 12 on, you can get on the ESPN app, you can get it on uh, YouTube, which uh, this is where a lot of people are consuming things these days. So I'm very uh, happy to say that we're uh, on YouTube, uh, live Facebook um, and the ESPN app. And then on Sunday mornings, when the regular season begins, Fantasy Football Now on ESPN2 from 10 to 1, we get you all the information from all over the place, right before kickoff, everything you need, including DFS just for you. Yes, perfect. All right, that is all from Stefania. Again, be sure you're following her, be sure you're checking out all of those shows that she just mentioned. Mentioned the YouTube thing. I know a lot of you guys are listening to this audio only. We have been hard at work on exclusive YouTube content. Be sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to check that out. For Stefania, for Producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.